Welcome to the Be Rad Podcast. It's Brad Kearns. These are our sponsors. Male Optimization Formula with Organs. Brad's Macadamia Masterpiece. Perfect Keto Ketone Supplements. Carol Fit Stationary Bike. Organifi Superfood. Viore Clothing. And let's get check.com home testing. And please visit the bradkearns.com shop page for my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance with great discounts offers and now here we go with the show mofo for me that's just such a powerful reward every time i show up authentically it feels really good for me and every time i feel like i help someone find their voice makes it all worthwhile so even the vulnerability hangovers that i feel after i share something like that they're always worth it just to realize that you're not alone, no matter what, no matter what you're experiencing, what you're thinking, no matter what your stressor is or what your situation, you're not the only one going through it. And being able to have that really instant connection of like, yes, I see you, I hear you, I validate your experience, like I'm expressing empathy, I'm here with you, or I can listen, how can I help, is really affirming. But I do take issue with some of these really specific protocols then being translated usually in the framework of weight loss to this is now the way everybody should eat. It's gonna work equally well for everyone and this is especially how you should lose weight. Hey listeners, I am so pleased to bring you an amazing show with the one and only Melissa Urban, the pistol squat queen of the planet and also the world famous founder of the Whole30 Nutrition and Lifestyle Program. She is a true thought leader and cultural force of truth, justice, honesty, vulnerability, and healthy living. But boy, she has the whole picture going. Visit her on Instagram. You'll see what I'm talking about with these very thoughtful posts about all manner of healthy living, including some very personal things that she shares with her group and is really pushing culture forward in doing so. So get ready. This is a very hard-hitting show. She wastes no time getting deeply personal about her amazing life journey. She's had a ton of ups and downs and reflections and recalibrations in a very public eye. And here we are like three or four minutes into the show and I'm like... (sighs) taking a deep breath going, Melissa, what's up? She's bringing her A-game to us, people. She's sharing, she's caring, and we'll talk through all manner of interesting topics that are going to give you some incredible food for thought and reflection about, for example, the contrast between someone's public image and their true self and how much inner anguish that can cause when you're putting on a show or an act for the world. We'll learn about her serious commitment to fitness. I'm not kidding about the pistol squat and how that kind of blends in with her entrepreneurial success. Uh, She's actually going to talk about how she's managed this amazing life transformation from addiction and suffering and abuse to being a business leader and a healthy, well-adjusted human, especially when she talks about her new favorite topic of boundaries and how to set up an assortment of boundaries in your life, different kinds of boundaries uh, that will promote success and happiness and keep you on track. Yeah, I even consulted with her about my uh, penchant for distractibility with the email inbox uh, when I'm trying to focus on peak cognitive tasks. So good stuff, good advice. Oh, I get to give you a proper intro too. Uh, Melissa Urban, as you don't know her already, is the co-founder and CEO of the Whole30 program. She's a six-time, six-times people, New York Times bestselling author. She's been featured by the New York Times, People, Wall Street, Journal, Forbes, Dr. Oz, B-Rad Podcast, and Good Morning America, all the major media outlets, if you know what I mean. And she was ranked number 19 on Greatest's Top 100 Most Influential People in Health and Fitness in the year 2018. Melissa has presented more than 150 health and nutrition seminars worldwide. We're going to talk about that humble grassroots start where she just hustled, pure hustle and extensive travel to spread the word about the Whole30 over a decade ago. She's a prominent keynote speaker in social media, branding, health trends, and entrepreneurship. She lives in the great town of Salt Lake City, where she got a dog, a kid, a boyfriend, awesome hikes, and spectacular performances in the gym. Here we go with Melissa Urban. We're already warmed up and ready to go. That's just the type of people we are. And I have Melissa Urban on the podcast. I'm so excited to connect with you. Brad, thank you so much. It's been too long since we've chatted. 
Um, I'm obsessed with your pistol squats. We have to start there because it's such an extraordinary athletic move. And then you're going to tell me <laughs> about the role of fitness in your life because we all know you as the the whole 30, the diet queen. But um, this is, you know, some extreme stuff you're doing. Also throwing around the, the the heavy bars there in the in the home the home gym. So why don't you um, take us through that and what what that means to your to your overall life picture and health plan? Yeah. I mean, I started, I, the first time I ever walked into a gym was immediately after I left rehab for my drug addiction as part of my kind of re-emergence and redefining of myself as a healthy person with healthy habits. I started going to the gym and I started running and doing triathlons and that led me to CrossFit. CrossFit led me to powerlifting and Olympic lifting. I've had the benefit of training with some of the best coaches in the country and now I just kind of do my own thing. I call it strong and bendy. It's a mix of heavy lifting and hiking and yoga and gymnastics work and all kinds of fun mobility stuff. And yes, I do a lot of pistols, but I mean, spoiler, those have always come really easy to me. I think I got it like the first time I tried it. So my oddly shaped, super long legged body is just really good at those. <laughs> you can just pull it off. Uh, strong and bendy is what you call it? I do. I I started the year of strong and bendy four years ago now, and it came immediately after my divorce and business split after I realized in a moment of self-reflection that I had become so strong and so kind of closed off and so guarded in my life because of what I was going through that I was now brittle. And I decided that I was going to move into this new phase of my life through kind of this underlying philosophy of being strong and bendy, right? Strong, but also flexible, you know, soft, uh, soft heart and and strong spine. Oh. And so I think my own personal development evolution really mirrored what I was doing for myself in the gym, which was moving away from those punishing Metcons and always training harder and doing more and giving a hundred percent to like showing myself grace and focusing on mobility and flexibility. And I've, you know, never been fitter because of it. Oh my gosh, I think this could be a whole new fitness sensation. Yeah. You're going to have to brand that. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's beautiful. Um, so you. bendy in the in the area of fixed and rigid beliefs and uh, not only uh, just, the, just the physical part, but all around, just trying to go with the flow. Yeah, and, and really the idea of showing myself grace and learning empathy for myself was a really big part of that. Empathy has never come naturally to me with others. I've had to work really hard at it. And it wasn't until I began this practice that I realized that it was because I had never shown myself any empathy. And so that was a big part of my kind of strong and bendy routine too was, you know, I'm not feeling great today. So guess what? I'm just going to go into the gym and like do whatever I want. If it just means roll around on a foam roller for 30 minutes, or if it means walk in and then walk right back out, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to beat myself up for it. I'm going to celebrate listening to my body and actually giving it what it needs. Do you think that's the case with a lot of issues where you, you realize that you, you don't have self-empathy and so therefore you, you think everyone around you should suck it up and do better and you can't, you can't relate and, and it starts with you? I think every judgment we ever hold about anybody else is just a reflection. I've always said judgment is a mirror, not a window. And anytime I find myself judging someone else or getting really critical of someone else's behavior, it's always a sign that there's something I need to look at in myself. So yeah, I think it works the other way. If you're unable to express certain emotions or you see certain traits in an unfavorable light, it's probably because you're also denying yourself those same emotions or those same traits. Mm, right. So we resent uh, ostentatious wealth and look at that ridiculous car and that guy driving around showing off. And that, that's so silly. And, and he's, he's uh, uh, oh, look at the private jet flying over and they're, they're wasting all that gas and their carbon footprint and, and so on. We go with our speeches to anything that's, uh, I guess, a, a imperfection or a void in our own life. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, that, that would speak to like, well, what does your own relationship with money look like? What does your own relationship with wealth look like? And look, what you choose to drive or how you choose to fly is like not my business. And that's the other thing I remind myself of all the time, like stay in your business, Melissa. Mm. But it is really helpful when I find I have those snap judgment moments to ask myself like, okay, what are you, you know, why are you being so overly critical of something that isn't your business? And like, what is it inside you that is bringing this up? There's always an answer. 
we are talking to healthy diet and healthy living celebrity, Melissa Urban. And the show's what, a few minutes old, Melissa? And we're already hearing about your uh, return from drug addiction into the gym and, you know, these deep and personal things. And that's why I knew we were going to get there. I I love going on your Instagram and it's just like a a refreshing breath of fresh air from all the the posing. Uh, But it, it does, you know, call up some questions like you're very free and comfortable talking about this, even though you're a big brand and, and celebrity and you're, you're out there uh, promoting healthy living. Uh, so I'd, I'd love to talk about kind of that journey, especially the point where I guess maybe at some point you became a public figure and you had to wrestle with these issues of what Melissa are we going to know and learn about? Yeah, that was a journey. Um, you know, in the beginning, when Whole30 really started to take off, we started to get some media attention. We, you know, the first book made the New York Times bestseller list in 2012. Um, I think I spent a lot of time, years in fact, and then also add to the fact that like I was not in a very happy marriage and I happened to be married to my business partner. I felt like I had to be, I called her Whole30 Melissa. And Whole30 Melissa was just perfect in every way. She was well-dressed. She was well-spoken. Her hair was always done. Her nails were always done. She always had the right answer as far as you knew. Her life was perfect. Her work-life balance was perfect. Like she was doing it all. And I became an imposter in my own life. I hated Whole30 Melissa because not even I could live up to her expectations and it, I became so unrelatable to anyone I was trying to help or talk to because I refused to model anything but this perfection. And it wasn't until my divorce and business split, both of which were rather public, that I, again, you know, year of strong and bendy decided like, I'm only going to show up as myself from now on. And it didn't happen overnight. It definitely took a while. That guarding behavior was hard to drop and it was hard to start sharing about some of the things that I was maybe ashamed about or felt like a failure with. But the more I shared, the more I realized that A, it felt good. B, I could never get it wrong because I was only being myself. And C, very often people are just waiting for someone to go first. They want they want someone mm. else to go first to talk about some of these things and it helps them find their voice. And I was like, well... I have a voice and I have a platform and I'm not afraid to go first. And that's kind of where I am today. Whew. Uh, so yeah. you're saying like <laughs> in, in real time, did you feel funny as whole 30 Melissa? I mean, when, when you get done with your, done with your roadshow, we were following you guys too. And I want, I want listeners to know that you guys grinded this thing out from the grassroots beginning uh, to, to get to the point where it is today. It's been an amazing journey, but we were, we were watching you guys travel around the country, do these little seminars. Mark Sisson and I are going, okay, wait, it's a hundred bucks to get in. There's two of them. So they must be splitting, you know, there, there's two expenses here. And how, how are they making this work? And I think, uh, I think I know the answer was that you were just happy to spread the word and, and to build this community. Uh, but uh, along that path, which was in, in many ways, rewarding, successful, growing, growing, bestseller, all that. But are you saying that you kind of felt this sense of, I don't know, emptiness or I- imposter in real time? The dichotomy was really profound in that we were on a book tour. We were on Dr. Oz for the first time. Our book debuted on the New York Times list and we were quietly divorcing and nobody knew, not our publisher, not our agent, because we had committed to promote this book together. And I'm so proud of how we showed up, even in the midst of what we were going through personally, we showed up and we did such a good job for our community and for our readers and for the people that we, you know, made promises to, but it was such a difficult situation. I felt like a fraud and there were reasons. There were so many reasons why it was not practical nor helpful to, in the middle of this book tour, like announce our personal situation. But I still felt really inauthentic. I was still processing what had happened in, you know, in the marriage and understanding the business split was going to have to happen. Like it was one of the happiest times in my life because we were celebrating the massive, you know, critical success of this book that that I had been working so hard on for years, but it was also one of the most stressful times of my life. And and I feel like there is a before and there's an after. And before you saw Whole30, Melissa, and after you just got me. 
<laughs> and look, n- nothing bad happened. Yeah. <laughs> you're still you're still popular. I wonder though, it, it is really scary and thinking back, there prob- we probably still have to play the game at a certain level. And uh before I a- ask you to comment, I I'm I'm noticing this this quote that you wrote. I think it was one of your posts where you say um I share what is personal but not intimate. So you're talking mm-hmm. about your addiction, your recovery battles with uh, depression, abuse in your past, the the divorce that we're hearing about. Um, But there is a line drawn somewhere in the sand. And I'd love for you to help us navigate. Maybe everyone can listening can can have this realization that like, hey, um, you can put yourself out there and and be honest, but let's not confuse this because I do feel like maybe we've teetered over the line a bit in certain examples where, um, you know, here it is time to start a podcast. And and the first five minutes is me talking about uh, the the parking ticket I got. And I'm so mad about that. And I want all you guys to commiserate with me rather than bringing the heat here and and bringing something of value to, to the people that are following you. Okay. There was a 12 part question from Melissa. Let's see if she can hang. (laughs) So the personal, not intimate is something I stole from the brilliant Brene Brown. Of course, she has all the best quotes and it's just a framework for how I think about boundaries in what I share. And that boundary, that line is going to feel different for everyone and be different for everyone. For example, I have shared on Instagram about that one time I got chlamydia. For a lot of people, that would be way too intimate to share on social media with 300,000 followers, but I was at a place in my life where it was so far in the past, I had processed it, I was ready to talk about it, and I was ready to destigmatize talking about sexual health. But I do have a line that I won't cross in terms of things I will and won't share. So the most obvious is that I do not talk about or name or post about my son. I have an eight-year-old son. He's beautiful and wonderful, and you will never see his face. You will never hear his name. It's just not something that I will share. He is just for me and my family. I don't talk about issues I'm having real time. I like to process things and make sure that I have gone to therapy around them and worked through them and done my own work on them before I share. So I don't talk about things like my concussion or my divorce in real time. It's only after the fact when I can make my journey relatable and it's less raw. Um, I, you know, I'm not sharing a lot of details about my relationship as they're happening in real time. And anytime I do share, I make sure I get permission. So, Mm. you know, I liken it to just this idea that like you, you do get a lot of pieces of me and they're all willingly shared. And also I do have boundaries around what I will and won't share. And it's not your job to guess my boundaries. It's my job to hold them. (laughs) So people can and do ask me all kinds of questions. The most intimate, detailed questions you can imagine. And sometimes I answer and sometimes I say, I'm not willing to talk about that. And that's okay. I make no apologies for it. Yeah, fair enough. I imagine that goes over pretty well. I don't know if your favorability stats uh, align with that. I mean, especially when you do these, uh, what would you call them? Like, you know, a landmark uh, public post where you're opening up the discussion of your, the, the, the one you just mentioned. You, you, yeah. you, now we're talking about sexually transmitted diseases. Um, was it a 95 to 5 approval rating or did you get yeah. some haters out there? I'm curious. I I don't, I usually don't get haters. The only time I get really negative comments or negative comments from people who don't understand is when I take a really strong stance on our social justice work and people will tell me to stick to food or, you know, don't get into politics. And I have, I have a few standard responses for that, which is usually like, no, thank you. I will not, right. I will not stick to food. I will not Mm. stay out of politics. Um, But most of the time I really get nothing but people saying like, thank you. Thank you for talking about this. I've been Mm. too embarrassed to talk about it. I've been too ashamed to talk about it. I've been too embarrassed or ashamed to get help for it. And now I've told someone in my life, or I feel like I can tell someone, or I'm telling you in the DMs. And for me, that's just such a powerful reward. Every time I show up authentically, it feels really good for me. And every time I feel like I help someone find their voice makes it all worthwhile. So even the vulnerability hangovers, to borrow another <laughs> Brene Brown great phrase that I that I feel after I share something like that, they're always worth it. What is that like? What's the hangover like? Oh, you know what it is. It's when you say something that's like so raw and so vulnerable, or maybe you've shared a piece of yourself with someone that you haven't shared before. And then you just feel like, oh my God, I want to take it back. I want to take it back. I wish that I never said it. Like, what are people going to think of me? And it's this like sick feeling in the pit of your stomach where you just are 
biting your nails and all of your like worst anxiety comes up around what people are going to think of you or did you say too much or you know it, it's it's that feeling multiplied by 300,000 when you're talking about you know a, a social media feed. <laughs> yeah yeah it it's sort sense. of like um you know one toe is still dipped in the flawed childhood programming and social, uh, you know, things that we've conformed to, and you you establish those patterns back in your whole thirty Melissa days, where yeah. you had the smile and the and the perfect. Uh, what were you mentioning? Your hair, your yeah. nails, everything and was perfect. Yeah, and so yeah. that doesn't just wipe away completely. So I, I, I totally understand that, and yeah, um, it's boy n- now it's just a a toe in the back in the water instead of, uh, you know, half your body or, you know, wrestling with it every day. It goes back even farther than that though. You know, it goes back to like trauma when I was 16 and like how I felt about that. And even though it's long gone and, and fully processed and integrated, like I still have moments of reaction where like that comes up. It goes back to how my family handled stuff when I was a kid. Like, I think we all have these childhood learnings or what was modeled for us around things like dealing with emotions or dealing with negative circumstances or boundaries or lack thereof. And, you know, I think that kind of stuff will always be like the knee jerk reaction for me. It tends to mellow over time for sure. But every time I share something about my trauma or about my addiction, you know, a new nugget of information, I get that feeling. I get that feeling. It's almost like there's like an echo of shame that's so faint and you know it's not real and you know that you've moved past it but like you can still hear it just a little bit right and i guess um we as hard as we try we still are subject to um being influenced from the outside so even if your favorability is 95 percent positive wait a second you have three hundred thousand followers that yeah. means there's <laughs> thousands of people telling you to stick your ass to food instead of yeah. politics and <laughs> yeah. th- those ones i mean the the psychological experts uh assert that the the negative feedback the one star reviews on amazon i always read those to see if they're a- anything useful for you know for for book writing and usually the grammar is really bad it's not even a complete sense and so I'm like, yeah. all right, man, thanks for sending the book back. <laughs> you don't deserve to read it, fool. Uh, but they, they still have a, a bigger impact than the uh, the warm, fuzzy stuff because we're, we're wired that way, uh, you know, evolutionarily, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, it can be really hard, especially to read comments when we are sharing in such a heartfelt way and are in support of Black Lives Matter or in support of you know, um, the, the, you know, recent, our recent support of the AAPI community. Like it's really hard to read um, comments from folks who are so clearly are not invested in their own like anti-racism work or social justice, or even fo- folks that like just don't even believe in basic human rights or don't understand that that's what we're talking about. <laughs> it can be really, really frustrating to feel like, man, we have these people in our community. And like, I, I, you know, when I answer your DM, when I help you with your whole 30, I don't ask what your stance is. I don't ask who you voted for or what your position is on gay rights or disabled rights. Like I don't ask any of that. I help everybody, but Mm. I really want people to come on this journey with us. And it, it really pains me sometimes to read some of those comments and realize that there are people who so clearly don't want us to take a stand for people in our community who don't look or act or perform or love like they do. Like that's really frustrating for me. Yeah, I like to stay positive about all these things and look at the fantastic, amazing cultural progress that people like you are driving forward at record speed. I'm also referencing like Caitlyn Jenner and the amazing story of bringing that onto the highest stage. And I'm reflecting back to this guy, Bruce Jenner, who I thought was the greatest athlete in the world. And I, I marveled at his, his exploits. I memorized his marks in all the 10 events. And um, you know, now look, look how far this has come and what was hiding behind the, the guy holding the USA flag. And it, it's really beautiful in so many ways. And then you also realize that we have a long way to go. Same with the social uh, issues of uh, 2020, where you know I'm walking around with a smile on my face thinking that uh, everyone's getting more and more acceptance every day. And then you kind of get pushed back and realize that you know we still have to fight the fight and uh, put, up, put our opinions out there and, and let them float out into the, into the world. Yeah, there's been a lot of discussion. I've done a lot of discussion over the last three or four years around my privilege, becoming more aware of my privilege and what that is and what it means, recognizing how my privilege allows me to move through life in a way that is 
vastly different than so many others and trying to figure out how to use my privilege for good, or at the very least not cause harm with my privilege. That's been a really big area of study and something that I think about now as I go about my daily life is like, how is my experience different than someone else's, someone who's also in my community? And how can we build this community with them in mind, not just people who, like I said, look like me. Oh, so you're you're expressing empathy for others. Yeah, I am. Look at that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. you you made this uh this one sentence comment earlier about uh you know getting out of uh recovery and going straight into the gym. And just in the in general terms, that's a massively huge leap, right? You 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 leave the recovery facility and and set foot into the gym. Um, how can someone who's really far from their dream life or their goals and maybe struggling deeply, um, what is the catalyst that, that gets you, you know, on, on that, uh, 180 degree turnaround? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't immediate. There was a relapse in there, right? So it wasn't like I got it right the first time, which is very typical of those in recovery and relapse is not failure. It's just a learning experience. But what mm. I realized after my relapse was that it wasn't enough I was the same person I was before. I just stopped using drugs. I I just removed that thing from my life. And what I realized the second time around was that it's not enough. This is where my podcast title comes from. It's not enough just to do the thing. You have to, or I had to create so many boundaries in my life around myself and around my relationships and around my recovery to keep myself safe. I had to change everything about my life in order to maintain my recovery. And that was when I realized, okay, well, if you are going to be, if you are now a healthy person with healthy habits, if this is like the growth mindset you're adopting, what would a healthy person with healthy habits Mm. do? Well, they would start eating better. They would quit smoking cigarettes. They would start going to the gym at five o'clock in the morning because definitely only healthy people do that. Um, You would make, you know, new like-minded friends. You would throw out clothes that reminded you of your party days. You'd listen to different music. You might get a new job. Like all of these things happen within a very short period of time as an effort to set some boundaries in my life and, and insulate myself from all of the different factors that might lead me back to using again. And so that was the approach I took. And that's what's kept me in recovery for the last 21 years. Uh, So previous to that, you're saying that there were a lack of boundaries that I guess enabled you to go, you know, so far off track that you you didn't even have a track or a map or, or anything. I didn't have any, there was no buffer between me and drug use. The only buffer was like willpower and inconvenience and luck. That was it. Right. So it was like, I, I, you know, said I wasn't going to use anymore and I wasn't but I didn't really change my friends. I didn't say no when they wanted to hang out. I didn't say no. If they said like, is it okay if I, we still smoke pot around you? I was like, yes, I'm fine. I really tried so hard to present as like normal and fine and try to just wipe the last five years of addiction away with my family, with my friends, with my circumstances. And so I had no buffer. So in a moment of stress and temptation, I found myself in the wrong place at the wrong Mm. time. And there was nothing between standing between me and the drugs. And the second time around now, I have all of these things. I have a new friend group. I have boundaries with friends. I have the gym. I have my healthy habits. I have talking to my family. I was back in therapy. Like I had all of these things so that if I was triggered, I had to get through like 10 layers before the idea of using even came up. And that's what's made me successful. Wow. I mean, that's heavy for, for anyone to reflect on with any personal goal. Um, I have this, you know, I've been lately just, I can't, I can't say it's been uh, six months or a year, but I've, I've been um, turning off the Wi-Fi on my laptop because I'm yeah. such a doofus. I, I can't stand, uh, you know, I, I can't keep myself away from the email inbox. And it might be a, a silly transition to go from something, you know, pretty profound that you just discussed. But I think we are all subject to, um, you know, propensity for instant gratification, uh, yes. distraction, and getting getting off track from our, our stated goals and, and values and beliefs. And so, you know, setting up your environment for success is, is such a huge thing. What you just gave is the perfect example. So you don't want to check emails after 6 p.m. anymore. You turn. And so the only thing you've done is turn the Wi-Fi off on your computer. You are literally one button away from going <laughs> right back to that habit. So what else can you do? What else can you build into your environment 
to create buffers against that. So maybe it's some kind of program that actually literally cuts the Wi-Fi off at your house. Maybe it's every night when you are tempted to check email. Instead, you incorporate like a family walk or you read a book or you tell yourself no screens. Like there are so many things that you could build into that habit such that if you have the temptation to push the button and check the email one more time, you now have like three or four barriers of entry Mm. before you get there. And that's probably enough to keep you maintaining that habit. And that's kind of all I'm talking about here. Yeah. And then filling up the, um, filling up the story with all kinds of, uh, you know, peak performance behaviors so that yeah. now you're too busy. I mean, can you go out and, and can Melissa go out and, and blow uh, six hours of partying uh, tonight with her full schedule the next day? And of course not. I mean, but um, I think, you know, we, we take those baby steps forward and all of a sudden we're, um, you know, we find ourselves in the gym every morning and uh, that kind of uh, informs a, a healthy evening transition the night before and all that great stuff. Yeah. One, it's a cascading effect, right? It's inertia. So if you've got this habit of like this new behavior, that's a new, good, healthy habit, that's going to spawn other new healthy habits because a healthy person with healthy habits just wants to keep going. If I know I'm going to go to the gym in the morning, that's going to make me feel good. And that's going to make me want to eat a really good, healthy lunch. And that's going to want to make me go home and have some like good, you know, a good night's sleep. And it just spawns good behavior. So whether you're talking about doing a whole 30 or changing your eating habits or not being on screens or checking your Wi-Fi so often, or, you know, what I was going through with my recovery, everything from, you know, growth mindset to filling, filling that hole with other kind of healthier pursuits to social support, you know, don't also forget the importance of social support. If you don't want to check your email after 6 PM, then surround yourself with people who are not on their phones constantly or with your family members who are like, yeah, we're in with that. No screens after 6 PM. Like let's play board games. Let's play card games. You know, that social support is also mission critical. Uh, and you guys make that a big centerpiece of the whole 30 experience, right? Yeah, we do. Community is absolutely at the heart of whole 30. Yeah. Um, and how's that community take shape? I mean, are we talking about getting support online with people that are doing the whole 30 at the same time or what, what do you suggest? It's a little bit of everything. We took a survey a few years ago and found that 75% of whole 30 years were doing the program alone, not <laughs> with their spouse, not with their kids, not with the church group, not with their CrossFit gym. They were doing it hundred percent by themselves. So obviously we have an enormous online community where people come together through social media, through our free forum and talk about the whole 30, get accountability buddies, offer support and encouragement and advice. But we created our Whole30 Certified Coaching Program a few years ago to provide boots on the ground, in-person social support in people's local communities so that they can have that, you know, in-person support, the connection, the local resources. And obviously, COVID has made that really tough over the last year and a half. So we are just supporting people um, electronically right now. But we want to return to in-person events where people can gather together and have that communal experience. Yeah. Yeah, the digital community is super fantastic too. And, um, you know, I, I keep in contact with my childhood buddies. We're all, you know, ex-jocks or, or we had our, our day in the sun. And now it's like, well, wh- what do you got for me now? And and there's a lot of, um, you know, magnificent uh, peer support, even though it's not directly in your face working out with them in the gym every, say, every single day telling them to do one more rep. I think we can kind of create that sense of community any way we can, especially under difficult circumstances. It's still there and you have accountability and, and you know, camaraderie and all that. Yeah. And there are some benefits to it, right? It's real time. So, you know, you can't always text your best friend at 11 o'clock at night to ask a whole 30 related question, but you can jump on the forum and somebody's going to be up and answer it for you. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it can be really fun. I think also just to realize that you're not alone, no matter what, no matter what you're experiencing, what you're thinking, no matter what your stressor is or what your situation, you're not the only one going through it. And being able to have that really instant connection of like, yes, I see you. I hear you. I validate your experience. Like I'm expressing empathy. I'm here with you, or I can listen. How can I help is really affirming. Oh my gosh. We've, we've packed so much into a short time. I'm going to take a deep breath. The listeners are going to join me. And then maybe we should just talk about some mechanics. Like uh, you can, you can briefly describe the whole 30 program. I think a lot of people are aware of it, but it'd be nice to get a little, a little refresher. And then also tell me uh, how has it evolved over the years since, since it kicked off in, in 09, the original version to today, have you come up with any 
breakthrough insights that have changed your point of view on this or that and so forth. Yeah, I think you and I might have a few things in common in that considering, you know, you and especially and Mark have been around for lo- even longer than Whole30 has and have kind of followed, I think, a similar trajectory, at least according to my conversations with Mark. But um, so for people who don't know, the Whole30 is a 30-day nutrition practice. We describe it as a reset. So it's not a diet. It's not a weight loss plan. It's not a detox or a cleanse. It really is a self-experiment designed to teach people how individual food groups work for them. And it's based on the framework of an elimination diet, which most doctors still agree is kind of the gold standard for identifying food sensitivities. So on the whole 30 for 30 days, you'll eliminate foods that are commonly problematic for your cravings, your digestion, your metabolism, and your immune system. You pull them all out. And at the end of the 30 days, you add them back in one at a time, very carefully and systematically like a scientific experiment and see which food groups do and don't work for you. And you take that information with you and make educated decisions about building the perfect sustainable diet for you in what we call your food freedom after the whole 30. Food freedom. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the program in a nutshell. Uh, are you going to throw down any boundaries such as the, the vegetable oil is not working for anybody? So don't even think about it, dude. If you think the French fries are really, uh, you know, the best thing for recovery here, we're going to talk you out of that. No, the whole point of food freedom is that you get to make the decisions that work for you and you are such a unique creature. So, you know, um, dairy doesn't really work for me. It definitely makes me really bloated and makes my stomach hurt. And I don't really like ice cream. So ice cream is just basically almost never worth it. If dairy makes you break out and gives you horrible digestion issues, but ice cream is your favorite food in the whole wide world and you decide you're going to eat it anyway, good on you. I like fully support that decision because it's educated. You know how it's going to impact you. You've decided the consequences are worth it. And you are just going to enjoy, you know, your ice cream as much as you possibly can, knowing that you're going to have some negative side effects. So that's really (laughs) what food freedom is all about. It's all about Mm. you creating your own rules based on your own personal goals and health history and context. So you're dispensing the education. You're maybe going to help people uh, make the connection between feeling bloated, getting skin conditions and their consumption of sugar, dairy, uh, seed oils. And then they're, they're going to take it, take it to the finish line. That's it. Yeah. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know how poorly something makes you feel or how worth it something is for you. You're the only one who can decide. And honestly, we've all been told for so long by, you know, diet culture and the media and the patriarchy that like, especially women can't really, we can't really trust our own experience that we need someone else to tell us how we should look and how much we should weigh and what we should eat and which foods are good and which foods are bad. And we're just really trying to empower people to say like, no, 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 you're fully qualified to create the perfect sustainable Mm. diet for you. Here are some tools to help you figure it out. But after that, like, no, 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 you absolutely can trust yourself and should trust yourself. You are the best authority on you. And that's really the message that we want to leave people with when their whole 30 is over. It seems like there's some challenges in play, and one of them is our notion of norms. And you know, I've been pretty uh, uh, astute about eating healthy and, and pursuing uh, peak performance and, and health for for many many years. Uh, but I, I had this norm that when I did uh, high intensity exercise, I would have leaky pipes afterward as a consequence, of course, of pounding yeah. my digestive tract through uh, you know a sprint workout. And so it was normal. I didn't think anything of it, uh, but the symptoms vanished when I did a, an exclusion of uh, you know huge mounds of produce that was the centerpiece of my diet. And yeah. so I'm wondering, like, um, is that, a, is that a, uh, a challenge that we need to overcome where we should expect much more than, um, than, than today's norm? And then as a part of that question, um, are we sort of uh, desensitized to how food makes us feel because we've been slamming our face with sugar our whole lives? And so we don't really uh, equate carefully that the 7-Eleven Slurpee uh, makes us feel tired three hours later. We think it's just nap time in the afternoon. Yes, 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 yes. And yes, yes, (laughs) all of that. And that's why, you know, the Whole30, very often, the tagline of the Whole30 since 2009 has been like, let let us change your life. And people go, really? Yeah. Like, is this 30-day dietary program really going to? Yeah. No, you know what? It really, really can. 
because it will show you all of those things that you thought were just like normal that you thought you had to accept or tolerate. Oh, I'm just getting older. Like, yeah, I'm tired and I I can't, you know, my muscles hurt, my joints ache every morning when I get out of bed, but that's just like how it is when you get older. No, doesn't necessarily have to be. You might have stuff in your diet that's making that worse or that's making that happen at all. And your allergies or asthma or joint pain or swelling or aches and pains or digestive issues or skin breakouts or anxiety or any of that, all of that can be influenced by your diet. So we tell people, do this self-experiment, figure out if there are foods that are having a negative contribution to that, establish a new baseline for how good you can feel and then use that to make decisions about what whether something's worth it or not, right? I might be okay with being a little tired one morning because I had a glass of red wine the night before once a week, but do I really want that four or five times a week like I used to? Like probably not because feeling so good post whole 30 is something that people really don't want to let go of. Wow. What do you think about the, uh, the, the carnivore storyline that has emerged recently where part of the exclusion, part of the experiment is to put aside these foods that have been widely acknowledged. It's probably the only thing that's agreed upon uh, broadly that, you know, plants could be the centerpiece of your diet, the colorful, nutritious plants of the earth. And now we're getting hit with uh, yet another insight to layer on top of everything that, hey, maybe you shouldn't eat that stuff too. I feel like we see this trend of dietary protocols that are developed for very specific populations with very specific health contexts being extrapolated and broadened out to everyone should eat like this for basic mm. health. You saw it with a ketogenic mm-hmm. diet. I'm seeing it now with a carnivore diet. I, it's absolutely helpful in certain circumstances when people have specific conditions, but in general, I mean, and here's my other thing too, right? If you want to go try it, go do it. I encourage people who are like, oh, I did a whole 30 and I feel great, but now I'm not really sure. Maybe veganism is better for me. Go do it. Please go do it. Do a 30 day experiment, do it by the books. Make sure you're getting the right micro, you know, do it right. You know, make sure Mm -hmm. that if you're going to do a carnivore approach, research it, make sure you're not just eating like Popeye's chicken every day for 30 days, like do it right. Do it micronutritionally balanced and see how you feel and compare. I can't tell you what's going to work for you, but I do take issue with some of these really specific protocols then being translated usually in the framework of weight loss to this is now the way everybody should eat. And it's going to work equally well for everyone. And this is especially how you should lose weight like that. I have a problem with. So what do you uh, see as the best path to that massive challenge of uh, trying to drop excess body fat, even when uh, in, in a lot of cases, people are pretty darn dialed in with a good exercise routine, excluding the, the true junk foods of the planet and still struggling and, and can't seem to get it done. You know, I don't do weight loss. I'm not in the business of like handing out weight loss advice. I really, we don't talk about it at Whole30. We don't touch on it. I fully yeah. respect that everyone has the right to do with their body exactly as they choose. And if you have a weight loss goal, goal I fully honor that. I fully do. And also that's not what we do at Whole30. So I don't have advice about how people can lose weight safe, safely or sustainably or healthfully. There are other people who do that. And I think there are other people who do that much better than most, um, but that's just not what I do. Maybe your uh, your your uh, evasive answer has a, a touch of um, uh, of of you know uh, something to reflect on there, which is that you should probably back into that goal for best results rather than focus and obsess on it. So those who clean up their diet and really feel like you know which foods make them feel healthy and vital are, are probably going to succeed uh, rather than the obsessive regimented approach that we see so often has all kinds of fallout and, you know, difficult long-term success formula. So yes, that is absolutely one aspect of it is we do encourage people to focus on non-scale victories, right? All of the things that happen. Non-scale victories. Yeah, yeah. that's what we call them, NSVs. If you ever see hashtag NSV, that's what we're talking about. It's uh, We've got this like three-page list of everything that could get better when you do a Whole30 that has nothing to do with scale or body weight. But the point I'll add to what you just said is also... If you make all of these changes and so many things get better and the scale doesn't move or your body shape doesn't change, is that a failure? 
your energy is up, your sleep is better, your skin is clear, you're more self-confident, you're showing up more in your relationships, your focus is better, productivity is better, you've started walking again. You, you know, if all of these things get better, but nothing changes physically with like the size or shape of your body, I encourage people to ask, like, does that mean you failed? You know, I, I think just the opposite, but it's really difficult when people have been so hyper-focused on mm body weight and the scale for such a long time, because that's what we've been told to base our worth and our value on for so many years. It's a hard cycle to break. Yeah. I think that story is heading in a good direction anyway. So you're, you're giving me all these great uh, reports. Let's check back in a year. You're probably going to, things are probably going to be going well for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and again, one healthy habit kind of precedes another. So if you do the whole 30 and you feel so much better and you feel like you have more energy and you have more capacity, people generally then have a natural progression to like, well, what else could I do? Maybe uh -huh. I start walking in the morning. Maybe I, you know, um, maybe I focus on my sleep and really try to like dial my sleep in a little bit more. Maybe I start meditating. You know, there's, there are other healthy habits that spin out of what happens when you do feel like you're in control of food in a really healthy way, in a self-care way, when you feel more self-confident around food and your choices. And that just really does spin itself out into like other very natural, healthy progressions. Uh, what do you do in the event of let's say a setback or a relapse, as you call it. I know you wrote about uh, doing the whole 30 yourself once again. I don't know how many years ago that was, but it was, it was pretty heavy to think like, oh yeah, here's this person who's dialed in, created the program, and she too needs to go back and do her own whole 30 uh, years, years after, you know, years down the road. Yeah. I, so, you know, I did, I did the April whole 30 in 2020 because with, during the pandemic to be in community with my people, um, mm -hmm. I felt like I had a really good handle on my food freedom. I didn't necessarily need another program, but it was really wonderful to be in it with people during that really dark and like difficult and uncertain time. I, I don't want people to treat the whole 30 as a yo-yo. I don't want it to be like, I'm on the whole 30 and I'm face first in a box of like Krispy Kreme. So I'm just going to go back on the whole 30 again. It's not a crash diet. That's not how we've designed it. You really do have to work your reintroduction and your food freedom program, but things happen. Stressful events happen. Holidays happen. Um, COVID happens. And, and really most of the time, it's really just like a slow slide. I don't expect anyone mm. to do one whole 30 and have every single habit that's been ingrained in every taste and every, you know, behavior associated with food to change in a matter of 30 days. And if you find all of a sudden that you've been bringing foods back in without conscientiously thinking about it, or the holidays have gone by and you just don't feel your best anymore, you can always come back to the program as a healthy reset. And that's what we encourage people to do. But the goal is to never do a whole 30 again. That is the goal. My goal oh is I never see you again because you've done one or two or three whole thirties and you found your food freedom and you know how to make those decisions for yourself and you go live your happy food freedom life. That's ultimately what I want. I want people to never need the whole 30 again. <laughs> Love it. And now, uh, are we seeing the possibility of five years down the line, your winning formula and your go-to meals uh, no longer serve you and you might have to make some transitions over time uh, for whatever reason? I'm not going to say aging. I, I don't like that, but um, I, I guess does does the body evolve to where we need to continue to explore and and pursue optimal optimal eating? Yes, that's such an excellent point. I always talk about how reintroduction is a lifelong practice mm. because you are always changing. Your body changes. Your activity levels change. Your history changes. Maybe your health changes. Your goals change. So case in point, a couple of years ago, I was finding that my performance in the gym was super stalled. My hiking was just like, so, so I was really having a hard time on trails that I was usually crushing mm. and I got some help. I talked to a friend who's really smart with this stuff. And he was like, you need to like triple your carb intake. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, give it a try. Everything got better, right? I am so carb tolerant. And when I started adding like rice and oatmeal back in and like really upping my carbs, everything got better in a heartbeat. And I was like, oh, all right, I guess I eat oatmeal every day now. So yeah, you do always need to kind of be tinkering and paying attention. And if you discover that what was working is no longer working, it's time to self-experiment again, whether you do a whole 30 or just choose to kind of tinker with factors on your own. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, especially the um, individuality of it. And also, I think in the realm of um, fitness and pursuing peak performance goals, I was really floored by this one liner from Rob Wolf that he said on my show. He said, um, hey, if you want to live longer, lift more weights and eat more protein. And the, the extent of the discussion was that he wasn't a huge uh, uh, advocate of extended fasting for the athletic population. Uh, maybe for someone who's struggling to reduce excess body fat, this is going to be the centerpiece of your experience is to be skipping those meals and learning how to how to sustain. Uh, but you know, in my category, I'm I'm I, I got these these check marks against me. One of them is I'm old. Two, I'm trying to do these extremely high intensity workouts that are difficult to recover from anyway, and do it in the in the higher age group. And then I'm trying to bank a lot of fasting hours in the name of health, and it could be too many stress factors thrown into the bucket where I'm going to go try to triple my carb and take people like Melissa. That's a, yes. that's a beautiful story. I love that. Yeah. Well, you know, Rob is such a, Rob is the genius of like context matters, right? Anytime you ask him like, is this good? He'll be like, in what context? And that's what I love about mm. his work so much, but yeah, context does matter. Fasting does not work for me. Um, I, I've a really low carb approach, a very low carb approach does not work as well for me. And no matter what the trend is, whether it's one meal a day or whether it's, you know, a, a ketogenic approach and that's what everyone is doing. Ultimately you have to do what works best for you. And I thought it was really interesting that in the period where everyone was slashing carbs to see how it went, I was tripling them and loving it, loving life, <laughs> you know? So when we're talking about uh, the food freedom, we got to go beyond just checking to see if we break out when we slam an ice cream into uh, monitoring uh, our performance goals and, and fitness checkpoints and things like that. It can be stuff like that. For other people, it's things like mental health. Mm. So like my mood is not as happy if I'm eating a lot of sugar. It's just not. And I don't know that sugar is necessarily having like a psychological change on like dopamine and serotonin in my brain or the fact that I'm just a little more sluggish. I'm a little more bloated. I don't sleep as well. And that makes me not as happy. It makes me want to be not as active. It makes me feel a little more sluggish. Like whatever that connection is, if I eat too much sugar, especially in combination with gluten, I'm, I'm just like a, a mess for a couple of days, like emotionally, uh, my mood is all over the place. So that's like another factor to think about when I ask myself, is it worth it? Not just what's going to happen physically, mm. but is it going to throw me off my game for the rest of the weekend? If I start my Saturday with like, I don't know, pancakes with syrup, I would never do that. That would mm -hmm. wreck me like never, mm -hmm. but that's what I have to think about. Yeah. And I wonder how many times do we need to learn that lesson to declare that it's not worth it? I think a lot of people are stuck there where the indulgence, maybe because they aren't heading out and feeling crappy on a hike. And so the, the, the bar is so low that we can't, we can't even assess how our lifestyle habits affect our, affect our peak performance because peak performance is non-existent. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you do have to learn that lesson dozens of times. I mean, that was me with <laughs> alcohol. Like I've been not drinking for a while now. My not drinking experiment has been a couple of years and it's been over a year since I've had a single drink, but I had to learn that lesson for years and years and years. I would mm. give alcohol up for a whole 30 and then come back to it and be like, Oh, it doesn't make me feel good. I don't really miss it when it's gone. I don't sleep as well. Like I don't need it. And then the next time a drink was offered, I was like, yeah, I'll try it. So, you know, sometimes it's just habit. Sometimes there's an emotional association with either the food or the drink or the experience surrounding the food or the mm -hmm. drink. It took me a long time to realize that I could have just as much fun and be just as present regardless of what was in my glass. Um, so, you know, sometimes it goes back to like childhood memory stuff we have to unpack. Like every time my parents had a fight, they took me out for ice cream. I heard that from a nutrition client a long time ago, and it really stuck with me. And, you know, ice cream was like her emotional food. I mean, the, the stuff runs deep sometimes. Whew. Mm -hmm. Heavy stuff. Yeah. So I, I feel like we've had a, a two hour podcast because it's so yeah. jam packed with, with heavy <laughs> insights. We haven't had any fluff so far. I mean, we no. got to tell us about your hike. What was the view like out there in Utah? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, before I let you go, I want to, I want to, I have one question for you, which is um, kind of a, a question for you personally on your personality, but also in, in a general sense, 
because I see this uh, theme coming up frequently where, you know, you're relating your personal story with so many extremes, right? I mean, plunging into addiction and and having these real struggles and then becoming an international success and running this fabulous business. So it's like, if you spike that on on an earthquake graph with the, with the, uh, the highs and lows, they're vastly more extreme than uh, your sorority sister who uh, married the uh, her, her boyfriend and, and settled down in the same town and and raised some kids and, and walks to the park uh, and then walks home every day. You know what I mean? Like, is that a is that a personality attribute that um, that you know propelled you to extreme success? Uh, is also the thing that could possibly be to your downfall when it's a turn when the weapon has turned the 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 Melissa energy is turned in the wrong direction. So, in a word, yes, maybe. But what I will say is that that mom of two who like goes to her job and walks to the park and walks back, I guess if you ask her some questions about her life, she's going to have those same spikes. Mm. I know it may seem like the idea of drug addiction or maybe even where I am now is some oddly kind of, you know, weird spike on a scale. But I think a lot of people, most people, everyone probably has some aspect of that in their life in relationship to the rest of their life. So, I mean, we all have these like pretty dramatic up and downs. I have made jokes before that what makes me, what made me a very good drug addict also makes me very good at what I do now Mm. in that I'm very like on or off. I'm very black or white. I'm very like, let's go. Um, That has definitely tempered a lot in the last 10 years or so. Like I said, I show myself grace. I feel like I have very good balance. I'm not, I don't push myself too hard or overwork. I have excellent boundaries, but yeah, sometimes I do find those tendencies coming back to bite me in the butt. And I do have to take a step back and say like, okay, what's coming up here for you and where is it coming Mm. from and how can we approach this a bit more gracefully? So yes, but I would pose that my life has not been as volatile as it may look on paper in comparison to other people's. Good answer. I appreciate that. It reminds me of, uh, I asked Lance Armstrong a question interviewing him a long time ago uh, about his cancer battle and and so forth. And I I asked him, uh, does having been to hell and back uh, you know, reframe your perspective of things that you do in everyday life and, and the goals you pursue. And he, he looked me right in the eye. He goes, you know what? Everyone's been to hell and back in some way, shape or form. And it was, you know, for, for him to say it, you know, not many people have been on their deathbed with a, a 20% chance to survive cancer. So, you know, that is a pretty extreme one, but you're right. It's, it's all, it's all relative. And especially today with the record rates of depression, anxiety, uh, you know, feeling uh, ill at ease with things like quarantine and just with the bombardment of social media and hyperconnectivity, um, we're, we're creating these, these traumas in our brain that have nothing to do with our comfortable cushing life, but they're still real. It's, it's, yes. it's just as bad as, um, as someone who's on the street, right? And you, you talk about your privilege and that perspective. We, we all can, you know, do well to kind of own that and, and realize that, boy, we, we might as well appreciate the moment because you never know what's coming. Yes. And in the spirit of empathy, I'll also remind people that it is not helpful to compare suffering. You know, what you are experiencing in this moment is very real and very, and mm. matters very much to what you are going through. And it's not helpful to say, but other people had it so much worse or, but it wasn't as bad as that. I'm guilty of that as well in my addiction. Mm. And like that behavior was never healthy. What people are going through on their own is equally valid, just as valid as, as anyone else. So I liked that answer from Lance. That's a good answer. Melissa, it was a pleasure. Uh, this, this show is very memorable. We're going to have to listen to it twice because it's so deep. And why don't you just tell us how we can get on that, get on that list of followers with all the rest and <laughs> d- d- do some DMing, see if you'll answer within five minutes and uh, all the great content. I really recommend going and, and following her, at least on Instagram and, and checking out Whole30. So give us the instructions. Thank you so much. You can find me on Instagram at Melissa U. And you can also find a link in my bio to sign up for my newsletter, which is XOMU. And that comes out once a week on Mondays. It's where I talk about kind of everything but the whole 30. I'll sprinkle some food stuff in there, but that's where I'm talking about like relationships and boundaries and self-care and addiction and recovery and entrepreneuring and motherhood and all of that stuff. And of course, everything that you want to know about Whole30 is just at whole30.com. You can find everything, including the entirety of the Whole30 program available for free on our website. Wow. All right. 
the Melissa Urban bringing it. Thank you so much for <laughs> joining us. Thank you, listeners. Dun, 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 dun. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows. Subscribe to our email list at bradkearns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. You can also download several awesome free ebooks when you subscribe to the email list. And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five-star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows, that would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the BRAD podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message. Thank you so much for spreading the word. And remember, be rad.